What is up, world, and welcome to the What You Got podcast, where we talk topics A to Z and everything in between. This week, we're discussing the latest entry in the filmography of the wildly whimsical director Wes Anderson, and that is The French Dispatch. Before we get started, in case you haven't seen this film, spoiler alert, there will be some details shared during the course of this episode that might ruin the movie for you. So if you haven't seen it quite yet, make sure that you stop this, hop on back and listen to another episode, and then you can come back through uh, once you've seen the film. So, bud, this was an interesting uh, addition, and I actually I heard about it because of you, obviously, months ago, and I hadn't done a whole lot of research. I thought it was about post-World War II France, and uh, I learned that it's, oh. not, it's kind of right, but not really-ish. Um, I'm going to kick it off to you. Lot to, uh, lot to talk about here. What you got? Um, yeah, I mean, I I guess I kind of knew it was a little bit going in because I watched the okay. trailer. But, yeah, I guess it takes place. I don't actually know what time period it takes place in. I want to say it's like the 70s because um, I think Bill Murray's character is like at the end of his life or something. At least that's how mm. it kind of portrays it in the movie. And it says that he dies in like 1975 or something. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was kind of, I mean, I knew that it had like a bunch of like these short stories in uh, the mm-hmm. movie. Um, but like, I don't know, a French dispatch to me, like I liked it. I like Wes Anderson. Uh, I'm just going to start off by saying I do like Wes Anderson a lot and he's got a really like quirky film style um as well and it's just uh the movie though the french dispatch i found it like i don't know it's hard to explain what it's about do you feel like that's kind of the case like i literally watched it i watched it with my buddy brian and he he said what is it about before and i told it i thought post world war ii france he's like okay sure so we watch it he's like i don't know what i just watched (laughs) (laughs) me neither Um, oh man i know i mean i was like trying to follow it all i was like there was so much like so much prose a lot of like very colorful dialogue and i thought it was really well done like in terms of like how all the actors delivered like these really like you know i wish i had a quote but like i can't even think of one because it's just (laughs) it's very dense with like this very colorful language especially like something that really stands out to me is when we're um jeffrey wright's story uh like you know how like how he described the dinner i thought it was so beautifully well done but it was just so loaded with like very like um vivid imagery of like it really put like it it was literally written it was like reading a written article out loud you Mm -hmm. know that's kind of the premise of the story there's a lot of narration because i mean if you don't understand to put it as simply as possible the french dispatch is like a couple of stories um, that were written in like this uh, newspaper from Kansas, I want to say. Yes, and dude, I had a or magazine. For you sorry, about that. Um, yeah, and yeah. it was called the French Dispatch, and it was like they had like a, I guess, an office in France. So that's why. Um, and then there was just like three or four stories surrounding a couple of like their writers during like this publication. So, um, so like they're narrating their stories out loud in a sense and you're seeing it visually kind of take place like the process of the story kind of going from like from point a to point b and there's a lot of narration it's very colorful like colorful not like foul language colorful as in very like vivid and um uh, vivid imagery uh very descriptive a lot of metaphors similes uh to describe kind of they do have yeah go ahead oh sorry i was gonna say they do have some Unexpected but well timed swearing. I always find that yeah, Wes Anderson. Films Wes Anderson that just does and like crack me up. It did crack me up. And he is funny. Like I you know oh, he's yeah. got like good comedic timing. Um a lot of really interesting sequences in the movie. Uh I do want to ask your question though, like, well, A, what are your thoughts on the French dispatch? Like okay. lay on me. So, like I said, I had literally no idea what I was watching initially. And so as the story unfolds, and in traditional, I guess, Wes Anderson style, it's a story kind of within another story, and there's some weird lateral movements around there. Mm -hmm. So I was just trying to wrap my head around what I was watching initially. (laughs) And so it probably took the first 20 minutes for me to understand. And they'd mentioned so many reporters, and they were going through the stories, and I was Mm -hmm. just wondering... Will there be a million of these, or yeah. will it just be a number? So, through his go- 
But the crazy thing, and I gave it to Wes Anderson, this is when I knew the movie was doing something. I ha- first off, I had to go to the bathroom at like halfway Ooh. through. But Ooh. I said, no, I'm riding this out. But I also didn't know how long it was supposed to be. And then come, and I said, you know what? I have to just, I have to be strong because I want to know. I want to just keep going into more stories. And it ended. And I said, man, I kind of wish I had, there was more to it too. So uh, mm-hmm. I think that meant that it was successfully done. So I really, I enjoyed it. It was funny. It had its hearty moments in which you really started doing some thinking. And we can talk a little bit about that because I thought that happened particularly during the Jeffrey Wright kind of tale. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, everybody came to play in terms of the actors. So hats off to Wes Anderson. It's a a quirky one, but you've done it again. It really was like uh, impressive. The movie's not even that long, and he was able to condense like a lot of like different stories, and it was really like quickly paced. Like it kind of just moved from one story to the next, and like the individual like stories within the story were um, well paced. Didn't feel like it was rushed. It, it felt like there was like ample time given to each and every character. Uh, everything, everyone kind of felt developed, um, and at the same time, like you also got like an overarching story about like, for example, a Timothy Chalamet uh, plot. Like, you know, it was like kind of like a revolution, which I was really trying to figure out what exactly for. (laughs) I was a little confused about that. It seemed like they just wanted, like the men wanted to go into the women's dormitory. And then like, for some reason there was like, gunshots and like the army rolling in i was like is there something else here like what else is like this manifesto is this is this like kind of like a was that like supposed to be a metaphor for like um more like social change or something like a revolution like i don't know like there's just a lot of a <laughs> lot, lot of thoughts in the head yeah there. yeah no um, i'm definitely. curious though like so Wes Anderson is known for doing a lot of like different things with colors he's got a really popped out like color scheme um, mm-hmm. I am curious though, like he uses a lot of black and white here and he like changes from like one scene to the next. Like, do you have any thoughts on that? So it was an interesting approach. So if you use, I guess the Grand Budapest Hotel, which was, okay, Isle of Dogs was his last movie. And then before that was, I guess, Grand Budapest Hotel, but yeah. talk about colors. It was a lot of purples and there was kind of like some pink, orange, like mm-hmm. reddish action going on. So this was so interesting. And I think that with this one, Wes Anderson, not, he didn't step away from that necessarily, but he got more into the, I don't, even, I don't even know if this is the right term, but theoretical filmmaking. So it became, that was obviously a component of it, but I don't think it was as much of a character in this film mm-hmm. as it has been in some of his past ones. He was really just figuring out how to structure this so that it's a coherent kind of just uh, sequence of events and everything fits together. And I think he, he, he did his thing. Yeah. I mean, he definitely like, yeah, that's true. Although I was... I was curious though, like I noticed that in certain um, stories though, like for like one scene would be in color, right? And then it would like same scene but a different angle, and it's black and white. Like, are you thinking about the uh, like the concrete masterpiece arc where sometimes in the prison it's black and white, yeah, and, and then, then sometimes it's, it's color. color. Mm-hmm. But I would mm. say that it even happened with all the stories, didn't it? It happened maybe less so with Timothy Chalamet. I feel like that was mostly in black and white with a couple of scenes in color. Mm -hmm. Actually, there definitely are. I think it's throughout the entire movie that that he's like bouncing back and forth between black and white and color. And I was like racking my head through the entire time. I was like, why is he doing that? Dude. Okay, I don't know if this is right, but the black and white might be what was actually published, the literal black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other colorful moments are the ones that are just part of the experience that might not necessarily have been recorded by the reporters. Oh, just a that's interesting. Yeah. That's a good That's a good observation there, Paul. Thank you. Thank my, you. My, my thought when I was watching the movie... Was that because he made a like with Owen Wilson's opening like really quick story, <laughs> the cycling reporter? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, he showed a lot of like differences between the new and the old, and then the old was always in black and white, except for like one frame where it wasn't, uh, and the new was always in color. So like when I was watching the movie, for some reason that stayed with me, and I like connected that the black and white was always showing like maybe the themat- the theme or the characters on the screen kind of represented an older regime, and the color represented a, like the color scene represented a newer regime. But I couldn't find mm. that to be consistent throughout the movie, but it was just a thought I had. 
Interesting. I like that, though, mm-hmm. because I didn't even have that observation during that sequence of the yeah. film. Because there was an instance where um, Adrian Brody's character is, like, presenting, like, uh, Benicio Del Toro. I can't even remember all these characters' names. <laughs> there were a lot. There were okay. so many characters. <laughs> um, Benicio Del Toro's, like, uh, piece, and he that shot starts out in color, but the moment it shoots over to kind of... And he's, like, trying to sell it as, like, this is modern art. This is the new wave of art. Like, it's we're tired of all the old stuff. And the moment that it, like, like shoots over to, uh, like, his uncles, I think. Um, okay, yeah. It's black and white. And, like, they're supposed to kind of represent the old guard. And he, he has to convince them that this is, like, the new wave of art and to buy into this project that he wants to get into so that's kind of where my like original hypothesis came in but i don't think it i would have to like literally scrutinize the movie to like see if that would carry out but i kind of remember certain scenes not being the case but i just wanted to call that out to see if you had any thoughts go ahead sorry i'm getting a little slow on me Ooh, welcome back yeah all right some technical difficulties everybody we're sorry about that but (laughs) happens to the best of us happens to the best of us um what was i saying where did i leave off in my little rant thought that i had about (laughs) no rant you're talking about colors and then you talked about adrian brody's um uncles as they were getting into modern art and how when the camera was on them they were in black and white and you thought that was kind of a reflection of the old guard yeah Okay, yeah, so uh, to finish that thought before I think I cut out, um, I was saying, (laughs) (laughs) I was saying um, there were, that was my original hypothesis when I thought that, because I was noticing it pretty early on that he was just kind of dancing between black and white and color, which I was like, interesting, I wonder why he's doing that, and like, there's got to be a reason in his head, and maybe it is your hypothesis, (laughs) but I would have to like go through the movie again to see if like, that's true because I kind of remember notable examples that wasn't necessarily the case. And maybe your theory is uh, the correct one. But I don't know if these stories are true or if they're based on another thing. Yeah, yeah. And so speaking of the story, do you want to go story by story with just our overarching thoughts and ask any questions? Perfect. All right, so I'm not going to lie to you. Is it all right if we skip the cycling reporter? I mean, shouts out to Owen Wilson. Mm-hmm. Hello, and thank you for the cameo. Yeah. But I think this film really starts kicking off with a concrete masterpiece, and as you mentioned before, with Benicio Del Toro. Mm-hmm. And uh, Henry Winkler makes an appearance yeah. as well. So, there are um, so many people in this movie. I'm pretty sure even Christoph Waltz has a quick yes. cameo in this movie. doesn't have a line, but it's very, very much. He, I don't know how Wes Anderson attracts so many like massive actors, but... Um, you could there's like 50 big names in this movie i think alone yep it's just wild. definitely uh it's wild and like they even have <laughs> small parts like ed norton is in it for very shortly saoirse ronan christoph waltz william <laughs> defoe like who is he he's the guy in the the kid oh in coop. the prison cell yeah yes i forgot about that dude mm-hmm Wow, and then there's just like people wow. that I recognize that were all in the office, like at uh, at uh, Bill Murray's oh, yeah. place. I'm like, oh, I know that like one of those actresses is in The Handmaid's Tale. She's I forget Elizabeth her name. Moss. Yeah, Elizabeth yeah. Moss. Yeah, she's very uh, yeah, famous from Mad Men too. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Oh yeah, Mad Men. Yep, and yeah, that's I think that's how I know her. Mad Men. And <laughs> I was thinking like, I feel like she's in one other show. She probably is. I just can't remember it. Um, then, like, you also have Tilda Swinson, and it's just so many people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So I'm curious there, bud. A, well, I'll ask first and foremost, what was your favorite part about the con- concrete masterpiece? Did you have any particular moments that you were like, man, I I see, I understand? Um, I liked everything about Benicio Del Toro's character. Well, it was... <laughs> a little confused is that because they brought the kid back from Grand Budapest to play like yes. the younger version and then it be- becomes Benicio Del Toro and I'm like that's not how that works I was like confused <laughs> a little bit because I'm like did he like is Benicio Del Toro like that guy from like Breaking Bad who like pretend like serves people's jail times but like I, I, I clearly it was just supposed to be him growing up and I was like a little confused about that but I just like that that, that guy uh, that actor kind of made a cameo in Wes Anderson's movie um but it was uh funny I mean 
Benicio del Toro's character is just funny. I mean, all about like Wes Anderson's like style, like and how he like created that character, and like how he's just like like going through the phases of his early life like depression <laughs> like mental illness and it's just like the true troubled artist like stereotype it was kind of it was pretty funny <laughs> absolutely absolutely and then i just love the sequence with um adrian brody mm-hmm. and him talking he's like i want cigarettes and then adrian brody, and adrian brody says no i want to give you you know legitimate franks and mm-hmm. i'll pay for this and i said oh wow like he's really mm-hmm. getting behind him so i respect that but yeah, i just the love the back and forth great, and i like how he kept like i loved like the little like romantic relationship that he had with like <laughs> leah sado and it was just the whole like you know all these weird like things that he was doing it was almost kind of like making fun of like modern art in a sense but at the same time like recognizing some genius in it because in a way adrian brody's kind of promoting that this is what modern art is and then like you see him like he uses like goat butter or something (laughs) 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 i don't get it Oh man, no, they did. I mean, he pulled out all the. I think that was probably the most um, out there when it comes to the stories. Um, and I love the moment when Adrian Brody. First off, for those of you who don't know, so essentially the way the story goes is there's a young artist who has a little run-in with the law, he kills two people, I think beheads them with an axe, and uh, ultimately gets yes. thrown into jail for a lifetime oh, uh, sentence. And so that, oh, okay, perfect. And so while I'm in jail, he gets older and he needs an outlet. And so he had done our art a little bit before, but so he starts really getting into it. And it's led by this prison guard, this female prison guard. And um, he begins a romantic relationship with her. And he also starts, he paints this one particular um, illustration that captures the imagination of Adrian Brody. And that's where this all starts because Adrian Brody is, I guess, an art broker. And so he's trying to buy the rights for that and for a collection as well because he's trying to warp perceptions and say essentially this is modern art. Mm-hmm. So, Bud, I know you're about to add in something there. Uh, you were just talking about how, like, uh, Benicio del Toro's characters in, like, in prison. I love the whole scene when, like, Adrian Brody's trying to, like, get him out of prison. And he's like, uh, so you you killed two people. Like, what do you have to say? He's like, it was an accident. It's like... You beheaded them, and then his lawyer like whispers something in his ears, like the first one was an accident, the second one was self defense. <laughs> I forgot about that. It was so dude. funny. Oh my gosh! So that was such a great line. Um, but <laughs> there was a um, yeah. I mean, it, it was it was definitely out there for sure. I mean, it was just like really. Like, I don't know how to, like, describe this movie. It's really... I know. I'm finding it trouble to, like, talk about this movie because it's just so layered in terms of, like, it compacts a lot of things down <laughs> like, a very short amount of time. There's a lot of, like, stylistic things. Uh, less so in this one. I think the most stylistic one is probably Jeffrey Wright's. Um, mm, so it's yep, all had a agreed. very interesting things going on there um but this one definitely still has like wes anderson's thing like he always has like someone narrating i love the like the 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 flash to like tilda swinson's character kind of um talking about it like (laughs) at a presentation it was really great and you know going through the slides a lot of funny moments in there um and like it cuts back to like Leah Sado's character like doing all these ridiculous poses, like you know, hang, like holding herself above above like a steaming hot like fur like a <laughs> radiator, like hanging from I don't even know. Like it's just it, it, it's um it's a lot. It's a lot to unpack in this like short no. story. Absolutely, and the crazy thing is the the drawing or the paintings he does don't even resemble i know i just like I, i'm like mm-hmm. you can see it there yeah yeah mm-hmm. i was like okay mm-hmm. i was okay. like i don't see anything i just see like a lot of i see a, i see a lot of red i see red there <laughs> yeah. i see um some something that might be a woman i don't know <laughs> i think it's an eye that <laughs> is that an eye is that an eye <laughs> Not sure. It was like me interpreting modern day art. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, it's, it's right in the vein. There you go. Yeah, I once went to a modern art exhibit, and there was one where some guy literally just 
wrote down on like a sheet of paper, like just counted one, two, three, and all the way up to like 10,000 or something. Um, and that was that was on display in MoMA. <laughs> or, okay. Uh, the Guggenheim. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Maybe that should be a podcast episode. What counts as art and what doesn't? I just feel like I don't understand it. You know, it's going to be like one of those things one day where I like will take the time to learn about MoMA or modern <laughs> art. And I'm going to be like, I get it now. I'm in life. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> It's like an old man, and then you just like hobble away. Yeah, it's like that scene in uh, *Parasite* where the mom is showing uh, the son K. I think is I forget his name. Um, going like going around the house, and she's like, showing her or showing him a portrait of her son, and she's like, "Oh, what is this?" And he's like, "It's a self-portrait." He goes, "Oh, a genius!" <laughs> and it's just like some abstract art. <laughs> It's like one of those. No. Um, <laughs> I gotta watch that movie again too. Goodness gracious! Um, but going back to uh, this, it's I loved a lot of like like there's a lot of like quirks. Like Wes Anderson's a quirky guy, and th- this movie like he just goes all out in my opinion on like being super super quirky. The cutaway shots, the you know the. Rep- the repeated name, the ridiculous name of the painting, which is like Simone, like paint, like something in cell block D, like it's just like the super long name. Uh, a lot of really like quick shots, like when uh, Adrian Brody and um, Benicio del Toro sitting in the cell, like you, like you just see like it's, it's not for sale. Yes, it is. It's not for sale. Yes, it is. And it's just like it's really quick. It's like rapid fire between the two of them, like cutting back and forth, and it's it's really great. A lot of excellent moments, but. You know, what are your thoughts on like the first part of the story? What what did you like about it the most? Um, I like actually so the narrative of the main character, Benicio del Toro, because he started out kind of unassuming and he never really comes across as somebody who's overly violent or anything. I mean obviously he says some mm. some wild stuff, but he just seems kinda of almost like a little kid. There's a moment when he's with Leah and they're lying up um and he, she and she says I I don't love you or he's like, and he's like wait how did you know I was gonna ask that and she's just basically reading his mind and it just he seems so innocent and then he's there's a moment where he strapped himself into the electric chair yeah. and, and he tells her to like pull it and I was like dude what are you doing but he's like I don't want I can't keep doing this anymore I'm done so it's just he reminded me almost like a little kid just throwing tantrums but mm-hmm. by the end of it so as the story swells um, him and Adrian Brody kind of come to blows which was pretty funny to watch that sequence yeah but then the other prisoners come in and they're about to start throwing down on some of these, um, you know, art aficionados who come to the prison to see this exhibit. And basically Benicio del Toro gets out of prison and out of his lifetime sentence because he defends them and holds people off. So I kind of liked that he was an unlikely hero. And I liked yeah. that that whole little arc. <laughs> I really yeah. like that scene a lot because like Adrian Brody, like there's like a prisoner coming in to negotiate with Adrian Brody's character. And like, he's like, what prisoners are out there? And he goes out there. And that character was just in there is like suddenly in the <laughs> ER, like out there. And it's like, how'd you get there? <laughs> like, I love how that they address that. And it was just like, it's just like one of those quirky things. <laughs> There's just so many like little moments where they just like bursting in and then like slow motion and like Lisa those characters kind of like no nonsense too so she's just like going in there beating it down like I love the execution scene where she just like zaps and like stops it like, really quickly like she's like and then she's like do you want me to pull it again and he's like no <laughs> don't do that I didn't like that um but I, I thought like it's just like it's just so deranged in a weird yes. way for like what's a like, good word for um, it and it's it's well done. Um, was there anything, yes. that, if anything, was there stuff that you didn't like about uh, this aspect of the story? This story, I think the hardest thing for me initially was kind of getting its rhythm. So the movie starts off and you're finding out. It took me actually a long time to understand that this was a Kansas-based newspaper company mm-hmm. or magazine company that is has you know reporters in France, mm-hmm. and so that took a minute to wrap my head around. And then you go for the, the bicyclist, and then it starts, and I realize that they're tying this story into the one that was referenced at the very beginning of the film when they're talking to Bill Murray about the reporters and what they were working on. Mm-hmm. And so then I had to figure out who these people were, and like you said, they had the, the kid from the Grand Budapest Hotel. 
who played the younger Benicio del Toro. So I was like, what is happening? How yeah. did that guy get in here? And who was this? So it took a second for me to kind of get my bearings. That was my only kind of complaint about that particular yeah. um, story. I would say like a complaint probably like towards the movie is that it was a little hard to kind of like understand what was happening. Uh, in the sense of like, I don't really understand like the context of like why we're going through these stories, and I felt like it was just kind of like maybe the point wasn't that you're really supposed to understand that it was. It was just like kind of an examination of like, uh, well, these are. It was like a love letter to these journalists during this time because I think the magazine is real, but I don't think the town that they were in, like the story, like that that place in France, doesn't exist. It's fake. Ennui. <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, that, that that's a fake place. So I'm wondering if like this was a lot of metaphors for certain things, or like it was borrowing things from other movies or other stories. I don't know. It was t- hard to kind of grasp the meaning of it all, let alone what the overarching like plot was. Uh, it's really hard to like as we said in the beginning. It is really hard to kind of explain what exactly this movie is about. And I think that's kind of a, I think that would be a little bit of a notch against it in a sense. I think people can go into that movie not knowing anything and probably come out being like, I don't really know what I just watched. And that's fair. And I went into that movie knowing what I was watching or at least assumed I knew what I was watching. And I kind of came out of that and I was like, I'm a little confused kind of what the meaning of it all was. Um, it yes. was. It was hard to follow. It was... It was you know, it, I, I, I read that some person described it as like, it's like taking a, it's like explaining what the French dispatch is, is like trying to take a clock apart and then putting it back together. But at that point, you don't even know what time it is anymore. So like, <laughs> <laughs> that is fair. Um, that is so fair. So I was like, that's uh, that was pretty well, well written. Not my words, but um, I was like, that's pretty apt description. <laughs> yes. Quite, quite, quite. Mm-hmm. Wow. No, that's, uh, like I said, I mean, I watched it. I didn't know what I was watching before. I couldn't tell you what I watched. Now, even just trying to describe some of these sequences, I couldn't tell you why something happened or what led to something. Mm-hmm. And that's why, once again, if you write story headline, I think is yeah. is good in terms of it has a, a, a very sound structure. But uh, It's also hard yeah, to no. remember everybody's characters' names. This is why I'm referring yes. to the actors. I'm like, who is who yep. here? And it's just like, and Wes Anderson can get away with this is because he can draw star power to his movies. Like, if this was just a, if you put this movie and it was a cast of like basically unknowns, I don't think it would have worked as well. I think you would have been very lost as to who is who, which character is doing what here, and yeah. No, that make, that makes sense mm-hmm. because half of the reason I bought into some of the storylines initially is because I knew the actor and I said, oh, what, what is this this person doing? Yeah, exactly. Like I'm I'm saying like Benicio del Toro's character. I don't even know. I remember Lisa Do's character's name. I think it's Simone. Because it's mentioned so many times in the movie, but like I don't know what Adrian Brody's character's name is. Like, nope. I kind of remember Timothy Chalamet's character, uh, and I kind of remember the reporters' names, but not really. Good on you, bud. Because I that is all no longer in my I'm, head. I, it's some French name, so and I know Timothy Chalamet is French, but like I don't know his character's actual French name. It, like I, I can see it in my head. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, okay. Yeah. That works. Mm-hmm. I think it starts with an S, but I'm not positive. I think it's an M, actually. Or at least his last name. Um, okay, that could work. S, first name, <laughs> M, last name. But, um, yeah. Any other, th- any other thoughts around that particular storyline? No, I mean... I just want to say like that it's a fast paced movie and it's kind of like this story or this, like all the stories are pretty fast paced and this one's kind of just like deranged and really fun to watch. I don't know. It's just, it also touches a lot of like on darker themes, but told in a very lighthearted way in a way it's kind of twisted, which is why I think demented is kind of like a perfect uh, description for, yeah, for um, the, the painting one and a lot of really cool moments a lot of quirky moments very wes anderson but i guess we can move on to the second story um ah uh, yes revision to a manifesto before you actually just made me i think the best way to describe this movie is kind of like that friend that you had that you always have to 
tell other people about before you actually bring that person in their space because you kind of got to say, look, they're a little out there. They're a little outside the box and eccentric, but they're cool. And it might take a second for everybody to kind of buy into that. But once they do, they're like, okay, I get it. That's just how that person is. That's what this movie that, is. That is actually a very good metaphor for this movie. <laughs> oh, uh, thank because, you. Because, yeah, it is. It's just, it's very hard to explain. It's just like you kind of have to like, listen, this movie this is kind of what it is. It's a little deranged. It's a little out there. It's a little wild, but it's a lot of fun. Okay. Yep. And you're going to have a good time. Absolutely. And it's like Wes Anderson being the most Wes Anderson, I think, in a, in a way. <laughs> he said, how can I up that? Yeah. Let's do it. And here Seriously, we are today. Yeah, I think he really, really did. Like, I think he just had full reign on this one. <laughs> I <don't, I> don't, <laughs> no. I don't think yeah, like, <laughs> nobody told him what he could and couldn't do in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> gave him a blank check and said good luck <laughs> um all oh right so revisions to a manifesto yes all right i'm gonna yes. I'm not gonna lie i was very confused in the very first couple of minutes of this uh story i'm glad you said that because so was i because once again the way this story starts out if i remember correctly is that timothy chalamet is playing a professor in chess and what is stated is that the boys are essentially trying to get the rights to go into the girls' dorm. bathroom. Door, okay, dorm. Mm-hmm. And so he's playing on their behalf. But I don't understand why the professor was playing on the girls' behalf. And ultimately, this all kind of devolves to Timothy Chalamet is a, a youth in revolt. Um, there's this whole kind of young versus old, anti-establishment versus anti-establishment after one of their friends is sent off to war too, which has worked in there. Yeah. And ultimately it kind of culminates I in... Think it was a metaphor on like young kids um, kind of like being very like, I don't, I don't know. Do you think it was kind of like a metaphor for like today's youth kind of being a little bit more uh, revolutionary against the current establishment? Because uh, I kind of was getting that vibe but i like i also know that a lot there's a lot of like you know cultural revolutions throughout history so it could have been like an absolute reference to something else entirely um and uh but that was the vibe i was getting and like yeah the beginning of the story though was very confusing um sorry continue no i i know it's okay i agree with that that kind of assessment that it is a metaphor for kind of that youth and revolt. And I also think it's a metaphor for it's important for kids to remember to be kids. I think there is a moment towards the end where Francis McDormand is talking to Timothy Chalamet and I guess is kind of sort of antagonist slash love interest. And she's saying, you all should be on makeup, make love and just be, be people, be kids. Mm-hmm. And it's just a reminder that while they're fighting this grandiose battle, uh, with whatever consequences it may have, it's also you're you know you're still growing up, you're still figuring out who you are, so that's essential too. So I I agree with what you're saying mm-hmm. there. Um, but yeah, I was a little confused. I was like, wait, they're just rebelling to get into the girls' dorm. But like upon reflection, I think yeah, I think it's more of like a because there were so many different scenes where it kind of like escalates into like a violent confrontation in a sense, and I wasn't sure if that was uh, actually just because they the students themselves are taking it really far as like, we really want this to happen or something like that. <laughs> and then they were calling in like the military police to like rebel again, like to stop it. It just seemed kind of insane, but I think the elevation is to highlight a lot of different things. Maybe that was both going on today and, you know, in the past, or I'm not, I'm not really sure if it's related to something, but I felt like even if it is related to something else, there is a lot of to say, like kind of what's going on, uh, uh, in these years, I felt like it was very um, appropriate, like uh, mm. uh, for good word. Um, I can't even. I words are hard right now. Um, <laughs> so uh, for like modern day story, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Okay, it was, it was a lot of lessons there. Um, but going through it, I was also really confused about the very opening sequence or kind of the opening sequence past the timothy chalamet like it was when francis mcdormand's character goes in sits down with i guess timothy chalamet's parents and i was like hey i'm confused about her relationship with her parent or with his parents rather and then 
be like they suddenly escalated into them apparently setting her up on a double date and i was actually kind of confused by that until the date arrived i was like wait is there a double date happening i was like i kept asking myself is there a double date about going like why is she, like why is it going upset why do they care what's the relationship here i felt like i missed it did you catch that I didn't even know they were going on a double date, so I guess not. <laughs> Wait, is that why Christoph Waltz was in there? No, 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 no. It was uh, so Timothy Chalamet's parents and then Francis mm-hmm. McDormand yep. are sitting at the dinner table, right? And then yes, they start and questioning her place. about like why she's not in a relationship and yada yada yada. She starts like crying because of the tear gas outside, which is like, <laughs> another thing of the escalation. Honestly, I'm wondering if this whole thing is about a metaphor for police brutality. <laughs> um, mm. So, um, because now that I'm thinking about it, I could definitely draw the lines there. Um, we can get into that in a second, but okay. Um, but then, like, she gets up when the date arrives, like, sorry, I didn't know you were coming. Do you not remember that guy walking in? And then she goes into the bathroom, and Timothy Chalamet is just in the tub. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. That all, that makes, that rings a bell. Yeah. There we go. Mm-hmm. There we go. Oh, man. It was also funny during that scene, because Timothy Chalamet is like, I'm self-conscious about my new muscles growing in. And they also make reference of muscles in Dune. I know. Like, uh, <laughs> the movies came out the same weekend. But like obviously there's like no one's like I'm just I'm so I'm so subconscious about my muscle my new muscles and he says this like multiple times like I know I, was like, I also find it weird that he has like a sexual relationship with like Francis McDormand <laughs> like, that was so out of nowhere I, I did, at first I was like are they and then I, and then they're in bed together yeah. I'm like I guess that's where they were that going was what with the squeaking this. was and then I was like oh okay and then I'm like oh and then like he confirms it later on with that really funny line where he's talking to like. <laughs> His next love interest is like, I'm a virgin. He's like, I am too. Well, except for. (laughs) (laughs) And then she goes, I thought so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. See, there were some some pretty witty lines in there. (laughs) It's just also like another really odd storytelling point. Um, But what can you do? What can you do? No, it was. And I'm trying to figure... It's funny, too, because I was going to ask the question. Francis McDormand always says, I'm trying to keep, what is it, journalistic integrity. So I'm not trying to get involved in the story. Switzerland here. Yeah. But she ends up revising the manifesto that Timothy Chalamet writes and distributes out to the students. And then she also kind of, you know, inserts herself into other situations that have to relate to the uprising. And I'm curious, do you think that she was... A, justified, but B, also being good in that? Or do you think that she was ultimately, you know, taking the momentum that the movement might have had and uh, hindering it in a way? Um, I don't know. I, I think I, I think there was a lot of, like, commentary cause around, like, oh, journalists can't be neutral during that moment in, in time as well. And, like, as much as they try to be, you know, I'll take Aaron Sorkin's words here is that you can't be biased towards uh, um, being fair. And like, what does that mean? Well, uh, if, you know, everybody walked in one day and said that the earth is flat, you can't be you wouldn't you wouldn't report the next day saying like, oh, so and so said the earth is flat and other people disagree you would report the science proves that the earth is not flat right like that, like so you can't be biased towards being fair but um so i think in that sense that like maybe it doesn't really relate perfectly here but in that sense you could have like i think her stepping in was just kind of putting her own stake in the game kind of giving a more personal touch to the story and i don't think it really hurt it because i felt like she was on their side in a way um i didn't i don't know do you think she was on her side like what are you what are your thoughts there or do you what do you think do you think she interfered in a way in my opinion i don't think she did i can i can see other people cared or at least um timothy chalamet's love interest and i don't remember mm-hmm. her name i think it was like naomi or something yeah, like that something like that um and uh she was pretty upset by it, but like she's like, "What is this dribble?" Even though like I think Timothy Chalamet was pretty proud of it, but he's also like, "She's a really good writer," and like all that. Like I don't know. I I think she would have been upset by. It. I don't know how much Francis McDormand's character really had an influence on it. I felt like she just kind of helped him get his thoughts and make it more 
cohesive, concise. I don't think she like poured her own thoughts into it. So okay. like it could have just been that she just didn't like what Timothy Chalamet had to say, and it was maybe who knows? I don't know. It's hard to say. But like, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think she interfered? Do you think the neutrality thing should have been upheld, or do you think like what are you, you know, just fire away? Well, I. I did love the one when she said, this isn't like my first manifesto or something like that. I was like, oh, like, where have you been? Yeah, which is like another thing and like where I think that's a good point where I think she might have been on her side or on their side because maybe she was a revolutionary or maybe she's reported mm-hmm. on this kind of, uh, you know, in the past and kind of like understands like what it could look like or who knows. But continue. True, true. True, true. No, you're good. And so I was um, thinking in a way with another movie reference did you ever see the movie Star Trek One? Uh, like the two thousand nine Star Trek. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so you remember how there's a moment in which future Spock goes and he's talking to um, uh, Mr. Scott, and he essentially tells him the formula for like um, light speed um, teleportation, and it was ultimately Mr. Scott's formula that he would have come up with in the end but they basically skipped a number of steps and he was just giving it to him as the final product so he didn't have to do the calculation and so it's that's kind of what this sequence reminded me of so i feel like they would have the revolt would have gotten to where francis mcdormand kind of helped it get but at the same time so she expedited it and i'm just part of me thinks that's the right way to go and the other part thinks that what lessons or what you know other things could they have picked up in that process of trying to get to the end goal that got dropped to the wayside that might have been essential for even greater things down the road. Mm-hmm. That's those were my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some things to pray about. Some things to pray things about. To pray about. <laughs> um yeah, I mean uh, I don't know. Like do you think that I mean I, we already talked a little bit about how like it could possibly relate to you know modern day um do you like see any of that now upon like reflection? That's a very good question. Well, I think especially just thinking about, I was just reading an article the other, you know, a minute ago or so, climate change. And I know that for individuals in our age kind of demographic and those younger, we're understanding that we're basically stepping into the role of it's only going to get worse from here. This is as good as it's going to get. So we have to do everything we can to stop climate change. And unfortunately, there's that generational gap in which those who are kind of calling the shots right now are not helping us out. And they're ultimately going to pass on and pass this on to us as well. And we're not necessarily going to be. So it then becomes imperative for us to try and make those changes now and to uh, do that while we're, you know, still have time. And so I thought of that in thinking about this particular story because. While it might be about getting into the girl's dorm, it's also, I think there was uh, something more there about just kind of young people being involved and inspiring people. You saw that Timothy Chalamet's picture at the end was spread around um, and he just kind of became the face for uh, revolution. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's something that could be taken from this particular narrative. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, for sure. I think there's a couple of things you could probably draw connections to. I think you can say that A has, like what you just mentioned, um, like climate change or kind of a rebel against the establishment because these young people, like younger people, are just kind of like mad with like what they kind of have to deal with. In this case, you know, it seems that they're just mad that they can't go to the girls' dorm, but it is like <laughs> kind of like a larger message in all and that it's you know it's a lot of things they're going up against what is the current you know the rules of society right now they're like i think timothy chalamet's like um girlfriend goes kind of a bit on a ramp on like rant on being like oh we're being really imperialistic we're sending people like soldiers they should just desert and like abandon it like stand up for something and then like the like timothy chalamet and all the guys are like how dare you and then they their friends um, and they're like, wow, you're back. He's like, he deserted, got like six months in jail time or whatever it was. And also think that there might be, uh, I said before that like a little police brutality. I mean, in the story, all that we know is that they're protesting because they want to go into the girls dorm anytime, all time, all the time, 24 seven or whatever it is. Um, and yet there's like a huge armada of forces of like, you know, police, essentially, they like go in and they just like storm the barricades. And it's just like, it's kind of like something so small, like 
like it requires ridiculous action by the police in the sense like they tear gas them which i think is a great metaphor to when you know trump or not trump rather but like bill barr like tear gas protesters outside the white house oh, true. and like you know it's sorry we're getting a little political here but you know it's just i think it's um <laughs> what you got bud <laughs> i think it's just like really funny that uh or not funny really but like rather um and there's some parallels there. Yeah, a lot of parallels to kind of like modern day what's happening in like politics and across not just America, but like the world as well. True. True. No, that's a very insightful point there. And something I didn't really even pick up like on just knowing now what the context of the, the whole argument was. And I mean, like you said, there was guards on guards and soldiers there and they had this whole little i guess hq that they were doing the chat and the chess yeah. game somehow got worked into there yeah. too so no that's that's interesting mm-hmm. it was it was definitely an interesting sequence and i think there's probably a lot to kind of unpack there but we don't even know what his like, manifesto even says like so we don't really know what it's like truly about we only have what we can go off of so we have to draw our own conclusions mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. Sometimes there are questions without answers. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any other thoughts uh, around that particular story? Uh, no. What about you? Honestly, I think maybe upon watching it a second time or a third, there will be more. But right now, that's, I think, the limit of what I, I picked up from the first viewing. All right. Off to the uh, final. The private dining room of the police commissioner. Yes. Now, I will admit that this was my favorite story. I was going to say this was my favorite as well. <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect. It's about, I guess, a, a culinary uh, journalist who's going to have a meal with this renowned police uh, chef. Mm-hmm. And essentially during that time, the police commissioner's son, who was young, is kidnapped by this group of criminals and held captive but they're trying to figure out a way to get him back, and so hijinks ensue, as one might expect. Mm-hmm. So, oh man, but okay, yeah, you know, Bud taught me through what was what was your favorite part about this story? Um, favorite part about this story? Okay, so there was so much about what I loved about the story. <laughs> the entire time that Jeffrey Wright's like narrating, like drinking that that cocktail that they had, like it was so. I don't know why, but the way that he was reading it, the words coming out of his mouth, it was just so beautifully written, so beautifully said. Mm. And I'm like, damn, I want this cocktail. Like, what is this drink <laughs> that, like, it's so mesmerizing that you had to describe it in one of the, like, uh, such a, like, I'm all hot and bothered now. <laughs> like, <laughs> damn. But um, that was really, it was, like just like the entire the the narration i loved all these like sequences between um like the shootout scene and like kind of going through like the dinner scene like when the cap like the the hostage takers um are like eating dinner and like steven park's character comes in and like feeds them the food i just i loved all like that whole sequence like ed norton's great and just this very limited role the car chase sequence where it suddenly turns <laughs> into like a 2d animated movie and it's just just like this wild ride and uh it's uh it was great i mean everything i loved i it was, it was such a excellent part to the movie and it really caps off like what the french dispatch is and like we've mm-hmm. been talking for like almost an, an hour now and like this movie's not even that long but you can already oh, tell like, wow. how dense this movie is but what did you like about this movie palmer no i liked for this particular story that you basically ran the whole gamut in terms of the emotional spectrum yeah so obviously it was funny with some one-line quips and then you also had that scary moment when the kids kidnapped and you know that what he means to the police commissioner who is his father mm-hmm. and then the return of him and you see them emotionally yeah, kind of embracing mm-hmm. and then i just love my favorite moment was just when the chef at the end so essentially the way they get him back is the chef goes and he poisons this meal and he cooks it for the the criminals and so they have him taste tested before to make sure that nothing's wrong with it and he knows it's poison but he still takes it and they all end up dying but he ends up surviving the chef mm-hmm. And so um, he's talking to, I think it was Jeffrey Wright's character. It was Jeffrey Wright's character. Okay, perfect. And he just is describing 
he said that describing what the poison tasted like and he said that's just a, a flavor he'd never experienced it's something new and he said and, you know doing that kind of work for so many years that so rarely happens and it was it was so random but it was so beautiful it was to me. it was tragically just... beautiful when i was here yes uh, it's yes. just like it's like the forbidden fruit in a, in a mm-hmm. way like he's just like it was just like it was a taste i never had before and like for a chef, you know, it's like, and, but like it's in, in the way that he was saying it, it was like genuinely loved the taste of it. And he's like, I want to recreate mm-hmm. that. But it was like, you know, it was poison at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Can't do it again. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. No, and I also love the fact that one, like you said, it went to animation for a good little stretch there. Mm-hmm. And then they had like the strong man and he was, I don't know what he had it, but I loved him. And he was on the car, gets thrown off yeah. the, like the window. Mm-hmm. And then they take the kid, run him around, get back to the car. He runs back on, jumps on the car again, and then just take off like nothing happens. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it was wild. I also really, really enjoyed when, um, like, the shootout scene, like the bot, like the muscle guy, he's just like sitting there, he's like gun, like bullets flying, he's just like he's just watching, and like the whole like the the raid on the on the um, the the kidnappers like base and it's just like barreling through the walls like they got like the alpine climbers like digging through the tunnel like i just loved all of that like sequence it's just so ridiculous but like it's wes anderson so it works (laughs) definitely and i wish like oh there's so much i just Edges is more about the character for Jeffrey Wright, who has a photographic memory, and he's literally recounting this entire story word for word while sitting in an interview with um, freaking what Ray Donovan. <laughs> I forget the actor's name, but oh, Lee it's just, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like what is what is going on here? Yeah, interesting. And like how, you said, like, all it, the modern parts are in color and uh that's what i was literally about to comment on like you said sometimes it goes to black and white sometimes it goes to color Mm -hmm. yeah and i also love that that story was i think probably the only one that really that i think in terms of since there's juxtapositions throughout the stories in which bill murray is going and talking to these writers yeah and so then he talks Jeffrey Wright's whose character was like, I don't want to include the part about the poison. Yeah. And he said, no, that's why the story needs like, to be written. Yeah, no, it's like, he's like, he's like it, it made me feel too sad. And then he reads, like, no, like, keep it in. That's like, that's the reason you write the story. That's the whole point. It, it ties it all together. And, yep. And I'm like, it does? <laughs> <laughs> hey, some people are curious about the taste of poison. I know, but like, <laughs> I, I guess like wonder. it's like kind of like the tragic heart at the center of the story. Mm-hmm. No, I see. I see. Because the story, yeah, I guess, so. is, is originally about the the chef, right? He's supposed to. He's like, he's going there to like, as the title suggests, and then it kind of gets out of hand because there's a kidnapping that happens while the dinner's ongoing, and then, um, you know, it goes on like this whole thing, and the story becomes kind of gravitates away from that. And I think Bill Murray's like, no, refocus that because I think the the point of that like interaction is to suggest that like we're not here to report like some crime you know crazy heist crime story (laughs) like we want to report about food you know isn't that like what the reason the magazine was created in the first place that was like kind of like lighthearted stories and i don't know but then kind of you go back and the, the the revisions to a manifesto is not really like a lighthearted i guess in a way it was a lighthearted story but it's not really that lighthearted I digress. No, agreed. Agreed. Yeah, it's it's interesting just knowing kind of every all the stories that are individually put together in the film, and then particularly this story. Mm-hmm. I think almost the way that they finished it off was kind of the overall thesis of the entirety of the film. Yeah, I agree. Like, that's why you make the film. Yeah, that's why you make it. Yeah, and it was... Um, Bill Murray's character though was pretty funny and oh and yeah no crying in my office <laughs> and even when he like goes and meets like Jeffrey Wright in jail he's like no crying don't cry just try to make it sound like you meant to write it like that or something <laughs> yeah that's his line yeah. there you go you remember more of these than uh, you gave yourself credit for there bud well you know I just, I did see it yesterday so. oh okay 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 fair yeah so oh man I- 
I also just love the fact that they put Bill Murray's body in his office, just like lying there. I know, like on his desk, not even in a casket. (laughs) And then they start writing a story while his body is literally sitting there. Because why not, right? Yeah, why not? (laughs) And then they all like chip in, and everybody like says a line. It's great. It's a good little like kind of kind of sign off at the end uh, of that movie. But. uh, is there anything else you want to, like more to talk about? I feel like we really quickly went through Jeffrey Wright's story, and we talked about how it was like our favorite one. I know there's there is actually a lot. So okay, Saoirse Ronan's appearance. What did you think about that? I don't know. It was just, it was just a nice little callback to her appearance in I guess, Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, and she was also in Grand uh, Budapest. Um, but. Oh, yeah, you just said that. I thought you said something else. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I don't know what you would have said. Um, my God. Uh, but, yeah, it was like a nice little callback. Ed Norton, obviously, he's kind of been a regular of Wes Anderson mm-hmm. movies. And um, I don't know. I just liked her appearance. I think it was just a cool little, like, you know, wave to it all. And she really connected with the kid. Kind of, I wonder if the kid, like, felt bad that she uh, died, but... Um, yeah what can you say what can you do hey he survived (laughs) he survived I was gonna say (laughs) I was gonna say that in terms of just what I hear from reporters uh, a lot of times some of their bigger stories aren't necessarily what they intended to write about like they were following the the breadcrumbs for another and they just got roped into this larger thing and so I think that the Jeffrey Wright story does a really good because once again he's there for food and he gets into this whole you know, hostage, high stakes situation. Yeah, he's in the car in the then, car chase. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> experience it goes by Willem Dafoe's in a case, and also they were trying to kill Willem Dafoe. No, I think they were trying that's to why, free William Dafoe. I thought, or did they, I thought people were going to kill Willem Dafoe because he was going to like snitch, and then that's why the police were waiting when he walked into the room. Hmm. Oh. But I thought they said that like I thought the hostages wanted to free him to release. Maybe him I'm wrong. I don't remember. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> it's hard to say. It's a it, there's a, there's a lot going yeah. on in this film. There really <laughs> but, is. Like just remember, this movie's only like an hour and a half long. Yes, yes. And, and once again, I thought they'd mentioned other reporters, so I thought more stories were going to be incorporated. Yeah, I honestly was shocked how short Owen Wilson story was i thought that was gonna be longer mm-hmm. it was very very quick agree he's like another regular to wes anderson i thought they were bringing him back but it was more of just like a callback um for him so uh but he did bring on a couple of new people i don't think he's had like jeffrey Wright before i don't think so either uh, and then who else willem De- actually willem defoe wasn't great but best if i tell yeah. what i'm talking about uh he's had bill murray and like Every single one of his films, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he's like a staple. He's in every film. He even had Edward yeah. Schwartzman. Or Edward... Is it Edward? Jason Schwartzman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was at the very end. Um, yes. Uh, who was also another pretty big regular of Wes Anderson. Um, did he... Was that Francis McDormand's first film? Yes, it might be. Unless... Yeah, I can't think of her another movie of his. Um... And Tilda Swinson's been in other movies of his, I'm pretty sure. Yes, I think you're... I think she was in... <laughs> Best Hotel, I'm pretty sure again. He had a lot of people in that film. I mean, he's got a lot of people in every movie. He, also true. So, I mean, Lee Schreiber's in this movie, very short role. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed Norton, mentioned already. Saoirse Ronan. Benicio del Toro, Leah Sado, who doesn't have that many lines, but like is kind of the yeah. centerpiece of that story. Timothy Chalamet, hundred percent. But yeah, I mean this this story was definitely my favorite. But like, I, I feel like there's maybe less to talk about with it because it is pretty straightforward. It's quirky. I think that might be why yeah, it's um it's very quirky. It's got its great lines. Um, but yeah, it's definitely my favorite one. But it is definitely the most straightforward one compared to the other two. Yeah. So rank them in order of favorite, like one to three. That's tough. Um, I would have to go Jeffrey Wright, Story, 
then um, Tilda Swinson's, and then Francis. Okay. Um, I like same, them all. Same I mean, But Jeffrey Wright's is definitely my favorite, and I would definitely think Tilda Swinson with Francis McDormand is, like, tied for me. But okay. I might, yeah. I'll yeah. edge the uh, Tilda Swinson one slightly ahead because I thought that was pretty funny. That one. <laughs> same, mm-hmm. same. Um, did you have a favorite performance? I mean, I know there was a bunch of actors in there. Wow, but... favorite performance. That yeah. is Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright is my favorite performance. Okay, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, first time, I think, with Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. but dude knocked it out of the park. Yeah. And it was such a specific character, yeah. too. I think that really, mm-hmm. he brought that out. Yeah, I, I would definitely oh. think it was Jeffrey Wright who did. I mean, all the performances were really great. Um, there was no one who, like, missed the mark there. I think everybody did a fantastic job. But I think Jeffrey Ray really stood out to me in, the, in that movie, in that role. No, same, 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 same. Okay, that was your favorite. Did you have, who was the most relatable character to you? Most relatable character? Yeah. Huh. That's tough. You know, in a way... I don't know how much I related with a lot of the characters because I don't know how well I got to know them. You know, like mm. they were all on screen for a very short amount of time. They're developed, but I don't know if I got to know them, if that makes sense. You know, like, no, that does. They, it does. They're developed in their own like, contained story, but you know, I don't really, I, I don't know their, you know, what their character is like. So for me to relate to a specific character, I feel like it would be, it, it's hard. I don't know if I could. What about you? Oh, it's Owen Wilson, hands down. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I'm kidding. Honestly, I think maybe I probably, by virtue of age, might have gone with the uh, Timothy Chalamet character just Mm -hmm. because we are kind of at that where we're able to start making our voices Mm -hmm. and her, but then it's also we're still trying to grow up and determine what our own views on the world are. So I just, I related to that one a little bit. Yeah, I think I'm inclined to agree that, like, in a way I can relate to his character because I can kind of understand the perspective of what he and his friends are kind of going through, Um, you know, as someone who... You know, reads the news on a daily basis. I, I, <laughs> I, I uh, find myself screaming internally a lot. So, <laughs> and a lot of things go. that's going on in our uh, political institutions. <laughs> oh, man. Where does this film rank for you among Wes Anderson's others? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, I think Grand Budapest is still my f- favorite. I love Moonrise mm-hmm. Kingdom. Um, I mean, Fantastic Mr. Fox, and then I don't know. French Dispatch would probably be solidly somewhere in like the middle, like four or five around there, maybe. You know, uh, it's a good movie. I enjoyed it. It was a fun ride. It, it was just it, it's a lot and really kind of hard to follow and digest. Um, it takes a, a lot of reflection. Like you have to pay really pay close attention and then really like think about what you just saw to really like understand kind of um the purpose of the movie uh what about you though no i actually put it i literally have the same exact kind of rankings as you do although i will say i haven't seen as many wes anderson films unfortunately i know i have to step it up but this one seemed different in a way like it seemed like he was breaking from his traditional style Mm -hmm. at least in the films that i've seen and also just other films like i was going to ask you the question have you ever seen a film put together quite like this so i put it kind of in that that middle tier but do you have a response for that question um no because i feel like wes anderson is so unique in the way that he directs his movies like he's got like yeah the colors the sets where he like just pans like that wes anderson pan where he like you know basically is moving off like from one set to another it's just um like the really like kind of like flat shots like specifically kind of the beginning of the movie where he's talking to bill murray's talking to owen wilson and like he's fixing his bike and like there's like three people in the shot and it's at a really interesting angle and it's just like it just kind of sits there for a while and it's like it just feels like that's just wes anderson's style and nobody else does that no other director does this kind of thing at least that i'm aware of you know um Mm -hmm. but that's just me no solid solid. what about you you know of any No, honestly, I mean, in terms of just going non-linear, I think the biggest call-out would probably be Quentin Tarantino. Hmm. But then you compare any other aspect of their films and they don't line up 
at all. Yeah. So I yeah. I definitely think that Wes Anderson kind of has his own. And he loves just, like you said, like the, the quirkiness. Mm-hmm. And he'll add in these random points about characters that will come up like once or twice. That has nothing to do with anything like related to the story or what the task at hand is. And yet... Somehow it just works its way in there, and you just laugh because it's so outrageous, but it, it you couldn't imagine any other way with a film of his, so yeah. that works for him. <laughs> All right, any last thoughts on The French Dispatch before we uh, wrap this one up? Um, Honestly, just I was pleasantly surprised. Literally, like I said, I had no idea what this was going to be. The structure was unlike anything I've ever seen, and yet by the end of it, I felt something, and I was enjoying myself, so hats off. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, so much for listening. This has been the What You Got podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Budd. Join with me, as always, is Jordan Palmer. You can find us on social media. Uh, Palmer, why don't you give him the links real quick? Yeah, sure. You can follow us on Instagram at What You Got Podcast, what you spell W-H-A-T-C-H-A, and on Twitter at What You Got Cast, what you spell the same way. And be sure to drop a follow wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are also now on YouTube. We'll be tweeting that out on our social media accounts tomorrow. You can see our last two episodes, which includes this one. So it's this one and the Dune episode out on YouTube. And then, what was I going to say? Oh, but if you know, don't follow us on social media, which you totally should. You can also just find us on YouTube by just typing in the What You Got podcast. You'll see our logo, logo, hopefully, and us. And, uh, yeah, be sure to subscribe. Um, and that's been our show. Our episodes are every Monday. Uh, what was I? Oh, and but sorry, we're late this week and we, that we didn't have one last week. It's been a very, very hectic period. Hopefully, you can forgive us. Uh, so we'll see you all next week.